0: Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer.
1: Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions, weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Go to Hell podcast so others can also go to hell. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing? Um,
0: I'm doing good. Exactly. Two-gun salute. Yeah, we talked about it uh, just before we started the podcast. I'm just really tired right now the school year is coming down to an end to a close here and I'm just um, I'm not like really counting down the days I know how many days are left but that's because other teachers tell you Um, and so it's uh, it's coming down it I mean yeah there's just a lot going on so just tired exhausted had a lot of weekends of doing stuff um all in a row so it just doesn't feel like i am catching my breath i was like we're out like every night of the week doing something and so i'm just like oh man there's really not like downtime anymore and then uh you know it's just there's a lot so <laughs> it's like oh man just uh, eventually hoping somewhere down the road we're gonna get a break But it's definitely not coming in the next month because we're starting water polo practice up in, like, two weeks. Oh, yay. (laughs) That's right. Winning. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm excited for water polo to pick back up. uh, After school practice will be great. Um, So, yeah, how are you doing, Tim?
1: I'm doing pretty well. I, too, am tired. But, you know, it's been three weeks in a row of parties over the weekend. And I've done my share of contributing to the beer uh, for those parties, and yet I, every time I give, I give back, I get back even more. It's it's truly like a a, a parable of the Bible. Uh, my cup runneth over. I I started whatever I started with three weeks ago, I have even more than uh, what I started with by far. I have. You saw the fridge. It's full there's hardly any room in the garage refrigerator that houses the beer and i'm there's a cooler right behind you that's about halfway full of cores and cores light so that's just sitting in there so it's it's ridiculous so but it's a wonderful uh rich person problem so what are you gonna do
0: that's right cheers to me cheers to you we're drinking beer Tonight, uh, trying to pound our way through uh, ten stash. We're drinking Moonlight again. Shout out to Moonlight and the Society collab. They have a dry hopped black lager that we're consuming this evening um another lager on the show it's very rare but uh it's really tasty it
1: doesn't taste like a lager
0: no it doesn't it tastes I don't know like what it
1: f- tastes like it tastes you don't you're not a, well you are a coffee drinker. you just don't drink coffee but it's not you don't like coffee I, I, I taste coffee it's almost
0: yeah I taste coffee I taste that in a lot of black beers
1: um or, it's really good though um we had these on Saturday when it was 90 mid 90s I think certainly felt like it. And it just didn't seem like a day to be drinking anything black lager, black IPA. So they yeah. back at home. But it's cooled down 30 degrees since then, Every since starting Monday. So uh, much better to consume it tonight when it's about 62 and windy.
0: Yeah, we're getting, uh, getting like bipolar uh, weather, very... Uh very much like the midwest you know where it snows and then it's you could go swimming the next day you know and all that kind of stuff so
1: and we have more rain coming this week
0: yep more rain thank you for everyone that has been praying diligently for the past decade uh for rain because it just hit us all this one year speaking of our cup running over uh we are in a crisis right now in california because um we believe in building really cool things um, and flashy things, um, but not updating old things. Yeah, um, and so. Uh, and or I mean, practical like, things. I, yeah, I mean, but I mean. Like
1: coals like, in the ground to recharge water aquifers.
0: Yeah, but ten years ago, um, they. Uh, but I mean, like we were having a water problem, so like, he, like it was a drought. Like, there's no point in like you know. Fixing those dams that only hold, like, half of the water that they used to. It's such an American (laughs) view of the world. It's
1: like, we're in the middle of a drought. It'll always be, it'll always have, well, always now have a drought. It's so, we're so very short-sighted, America.
0: so, anyways, uh, uh, one of our towns nearby is possibly going to flood. When all this snow starts melting, Shaver is already completely flooded, um so
1: well i think we've mentioned on the show before um where we where we live used to be in the 1800s a big the the largest body of water west of the mississippi yeah and uh it was anywhere between a couple feet to i think i've heard 13 feet deep depending on where you're at but just a very large uh shallow lake that lake has largely returned in, in in a good part of the valley. So,
0: yeah, and there's flyover shots right now, which have been really cool. I've seen it on CNN, uh, I mean, like it's cool, but like at the same time, like you know, people that own all these farms that are completely flooded out right now, um, which is not cool. But um, the hard part is, is that what is is like? This is kind of like a double edged sword, to where now this is ruining things. But at the same time, it has been a question because we actually, what we're what we've known for a long time is, uh, where we're from. What we get is, kind of a cool fact about California, is that we sit on this big, granite bowl, um, in the Central Valley. So there's the, the mountains that are to our right and to our left are made of granite, and so it creates this really nice airtight hole at the bottom and so um underneath all of our soil um we that's where we get all of our water is through the ground and it and there's this filtration system that's natural um in california and it creates a really nice good water source um but the problem is is we don't know how much water is down there
1: um yeah we don't know how we don't know how quickly i'm not aware of maybe some scientists do but i'm not aware and are, the farmers around here are pretty uh, attunedly aware of how their their environment works. I don't know how quickly it takes to recharge these aquifers. So,
0: right, and so and because of like there wasn't a lot of and and order enough for that to happen. You have to have, and it's actually a very slow process of recharging is or refilling is. You have to have ponding basins. You have to have basins, which is just. You fill it up with a bunch of water and you just let that water sit there and you just let it seep into the ground. And I know that seems ridiculous and weird, but that's how you do it. You just sit there and you let that water just seep into the ground. Um, and the state has been putting up together a bunch of programs. A bunch of ponding basins have grown, have like popped up all over the Central Valley. And that's because there is a huge concern about this is where we get our water from. And if it ever goes out, then we're screwed. So... Um, And I mean, like, we're not screwed, but it just, it becomes expensive, rations, those types of things. So, um, they're like, what can we do to make sure that that doesn't happen? And that's it.
1: Well, they might come in handy, too, because if uh, you're listening to this, you're saying, oh, so what, you got one rainy season. The last time we had a rainy season like this, and this is actually, it's, this has been a bigger rainy season than this, but we had a monsoon period of a couple years in the early 80s, so... Uh, I don't know if we're going to have that again where we have a couple years of really rainy weather. But uh, when I moved to California, California was a very green, lush state, much like Scotland. And that obviously was an abnormal uh, view of California. But um, we'll see. We might have that for a couple more years. All right. So no cleanup on aisle five tonight. I don't think any hot topic. Nope
0: as far as I
1: know. All right, so we've got two small topics that we're going to talk about. They've been on the uh, agenda. We're just going to go through these because we've we've, we've gone through two long uh, series, so uh, we figured this would be kind of a fun little episode where we get hit two quick topics. Um, hope you enjoyed the existential questions and the mere Christianity uh, maybe we'll do a movie soon. Well, we'll probably do a movie once school year's over. Just yeah. to be honest. Um, so a couple months, we'll do another movie. Maybe we'll do a couple movies. Anyway, so tonight we got two items, and we're gonna draw on a couple verses, on a v- couple verses of the Bible for each one, and then kind of tease out some themes and some ideas for each. So the first one is we're gonna read from. Galatians. So Galatians is this book that's in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, it's written by this guy, Paul, who is one of the early church leaders. Uh, Paul is mainly focused on speaking to uh, non-Jews. And he's kind of got this battle. We don't talk about it much in church because I don't know why. I guess we don't just... I don't know. Maybe it's just not appropriate for Sunday. Um maybe it's more small Bible study group thing, but there's this little war going on between Peter mainly, but also other church leaders who were Jesus followers cuz they're Jewish. Paul's also Jewish, but Paul for whatever reason um has more affinity, well, his mission is more towards the non-Jew, and so this little war breaks out where the Jew, the Jews who become Christians, are insisting that the Greeks and the Romans are basically a Gentile. Anybody who's not a Jew has to not only become a Christian but essentially become a Jew as well. They got to follow the Sabbath. The men have to be circumcised. They have to follow all the dietary. Uh, Uh, practices like kosher etc etc and paul says this is absurd and like i said a little war breaks out it culminates we've talked about on the podcast in previous episodes it culminates with everybody getting together i think it's the first official council basically all the first time all the leaders get together they get together in jerusalem 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 they hash it out and Paul says what he's got to say, Peter says what he has to say, and then they argue over it, and then James, who is Jesus' half-brother, basically steps in and says, Peter's right, leave him alone. So, with that background, Paul's writing this letter. Peter's right or Paul's right? Uh, Paul is right, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Paul is right. We don't need to be doing all these rules. If you're Jewish, you still want to do those things. That's fine. But we don't need to be creating all these rules for people. So in Galatians, Paul's writing this letter to a group of Christians in this town of Galatia. And he starts out hitting on this topic. And he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, if I declared every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Right. So I want to bring that up tonight uh, in context of, we're going to get a little technical here with church stuff. So if this bores you, I'm sorry, but I think it's interesting. I think... One of the things I find interesting, and I hope people listen to this kind of, when we talk about this kind of behind the scenes stuff of how your church works, because a lot of us go to church, we have no idea. Maybe some of you are listening and saying, I don't really care. I just want to show up and see the daily, the Sunday pageant and go home. Uh, But I think, like a lot of things, it's better if we know how the thing we're, whether it be an organization or the machine we're working or whatever, how it works, maybe how it should work, and not so you can go in there and throw a fit up with the pastor and say, this isn't working right, but just kind of be more aware of uh, what a healthy church should look like from our point of view. So there's this idea within, I don't know, church development circles. I don't know how you'd exactly describe it, but from an organizational st- standpoint, drawing from that chapter, there's two views of how church are. And unfortunately, most of us grow up in a, in a church that's under one set, which is not ideal. And most, very few of us actually live within a church that is, we would say is the ideal so what are those so the ones they're called sets there's two different categories there's there's sets there's the bounded set and there's the centered set most of us go to church or i'm going to take that take it a step further i'm going to go back out not only do most of us go to a church but we think in within a bounded set so what's a bounded set bounded set is You and let's say a group of people, it could be your family or a a church or take it out to a denomination or take it as far out as Christians. We're within a group and we draw this circle around us that bounds us within that circle and that the line around that circle are things that keep everyone inside the group and the people and people who and then people outside the group. And that's usually things like theology, doctrine, uh, stupid stuff like music, whatever. It's, it's, it's a group of ideas and beliefs that are meant to keep the, your family or your church or Christianity in general as, a, as this tight group of people that keeps people out. So we can say, those are the bad people, or we're the cool people, they're the uncool people, whatever the centered set says there are no rules like that everything points to the middle which is jesus and you can be part of the group as long as you keep your as long as every as long as you are looking into to the center with jesus you can be part of the group and you can be farther out because you're maybe have different views than somebody else but everyone was is within the group and there's nothing, we're not setting these artificial boundaries that Jesus didn't set up in order to uh, create others. Did I summarize that correctly?
0: Yeah. Um, so when we originally started this podcast, uh, what Tim and I felt a lot of frustration from in ourselves in our younger years um, and, really, what a lot of people, or just how it, and, and just frustration with churches in general, um, is the frustration with the bounded set, so to speak. Um, yeah, and so, that's why when we started this podcast, we kind of identified, like, Christ is at the center, if, if it's not there, you know, um, and it, then... It just doesn't work, and you need to be seeing through those lenses. And we said, like, we talked about these doctrines and dogmas, and and these opinions, and that a lot of people had thoughts about their opinions and their doctrines, and whether or not they were um, supposed to be the law or not. We even played a game uh, one night on our episodes uh, where we played doctrine or dogma. Oh yeah. Um, and that was uh, kind of fun and interesting for us, um, which is good. Um, being able to understand what your faith entails is extremely important. Um, what is difficult is that everyone in the Christian faith, for the most part, knows the mission. Um, there's people that don't necessarily know it, but everybody knows the mission. and We know that the mission is... You are to go out into Judea, Samaria, and all the parts of the world, um, and tell the story of Jesus Christ and um, share the love that Jesus Christ has. And so, um, and so there are many people that are part of bounded set churches, um, if that's what we're calling them, that believe that they are a centered set. Uh, they, they are. Thousands of churches across America where people believe that they are a part of a A set where the centered set where they believe that um, they're looking to Jesus for their answers It's not they believe that they're opening and they're inviting Um, Just how many people also view their friend groups (laughs) Right they sit there and say no it's open like I don't I don't tell nobody to not be here you know Um, But it is still, you know, that click of you versus them type of people. Yeah. yeah. So it's are you inviting, are you welcoming, those types of things. Um, And then understanding, well, you're like, well, this is how it's supposed to be. Um, And that dictates what you do. Um, If you continue to sit there and put rules on faith. The hard part about, again, what is talked about in Galatians is Paul says that there's this, it is nothing that we can do. And especially when we're talking about salvation, um, because that's usually where people like to create a dividing line. They really like to go to the sheeps and the goats. Yeah. Um, And even Lewis did it in the book when we read Mere Christianity um he still did like a sheeps and goats bit where he's like jesus is coming back and like it's going to be bad for some people and it's going to be good for those people um and so that's tough um and so people are willing to do that now (laughs) right they're like okay well it's us and it's them um but you're uh they believe that getting the, the them over to us is important, but they need to change and they need to do all of these things in order enough to get over here. It's not that they get to be over here with us now and then change when they're with us because that's not it. It's no, go work on yourself, and then you can come over here. Um, become like us. And that's not the model at all. No. Um, that's not what Jesus talks about. Um, it's really, you remember, it's the forsaking of the 99 for the one. Um, it's the, and when you look at Jesus and his life um, and how he responds and how he shows love um, to people, right? We always focus on he was with the tax collectors and that kind of stuff. Actually, the most important ones to look at I think to best symbolize on um, this because we all say the tax collectors and that just kind of seems a little far fetched or out there. Um, but leprosy is actually something that is common today, and so um, and also understanding. And I think a lot of people understand where leprosy comes from because if you know anything about the disease, you're like, that sounds horrific. And yes, there was, you know, it was contagious and all this kind of stuff. And these people were legitimately cast out. Um, crazy, and it seemed like there was, you know, uh, very obviously this was a problem that was running around the Middle East because, like, you don't hear lots about people having leprosy nowadays, right? Like, um, and so what he did was he went out to them, which is crazy. You don't approach those people, Um, and he goes to them and he touches them and he cleans them, right? That's the whole process of Jesus. It is, I touch you and then therefore, and this is symbolic of, it is me, my touch that then cleanses you. As opposed to how it always was, is if the leper touches you, then you become dirty and you become unclean. And that's kind of how we view the rest of the world. That's why we create our holy huddles. um, And we put up these boundaries and these rules to keep other people out. is so that way we don't become unclean. We don't step into temptation. And Jesus says, nope, that's not what we're supposed to be about. We go out there and we go and make them clean. Now that doesn't mean go out there and beat them over the head with the Bible. Yeah. right. Like it's you go out there and you show them love and affection um, that they've been lacking in a spiritual sense and maybe even in a physical sense. So, I don't know. That's what's very difficult is uh, a lot of times those um, those boundary churches think that they are not boundary churches. So it's difficult.
1: Yeah. That's, no churches, of, I don't, well, that's not true, but... Very few churches are going to admit they're, that they're a boundary. They're going to say, no, 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 we're not a boundary church. We're open to everyone. We're open to everyone. However, the Bible does say this and this and this. And so, very, again, very, very soon they start laying out these rules uh, that then make it difficult for. This is, look, being a Christian, there's always this tightrope one's walking as a Christian between Jesus and p- parts of the New Testament being very clear that this isn't about creating a new religion, this isn't about creating new rules, etc. etc. While at the same time, people like Paul we talked about and Peter and others and other church leaders are talking about you're not supposed you know, Christians don't do this. We don't do these sexual sins. There are still things we're not allowed to just, hey, we're going to do whatever, but it's all just about loving other people. The tricky part is making those, those rules that we have, those way, the way of living that we have that separates us. Those are just ways, of, the, the church should talk about those instead of ways of setting up boundaries and saying, if you do this, you aren't allowed in the club or it shows that you're not a Christian the centered set says well that just means you maybe are farther away but you're still maybe a christian or even you're not a christian yet but there's still an opportunity for you to continue to focus on christ and become closer to him but you're not you're not trying to get within this imaginary circle of worldly um manifestations to say see that's it this is this means i'm a christian yeah uh you say, well give me some examples all right well you know it used to be quite common that churches frown on divorce there's probably still a lot of churches that do frown on divorce and that that's somehow some some uh well my parents were in, in the pentecostal church and they pretty much got kicked out because they got divorced both each each divorced their first spouses uh my wife has a similar situation with the mormon church um the previous church we were at there was a great battle and this was a what five only five years ago but which i guess in the history of social change is a lifetime away but f- five years ago there was great, a great kerfuffle over letting a gay couple and, and just show up in church and how to handle that. Um, well, and see,
0: what we're talking about right now is, again, very similar to what I was talking about, as to the you need to get your life straight first and then you are allowed to come to church. Exactly. Um, so there's those things, right, where it's... Um, The argument is, again, right, so like what you were saying, there's there's consumption of alcohol, there's divorce, there's homosexuality, there's abortion, there's um, pornography, there's recreational drugs use. There's lots of different things that you can list off from churches where they say, like, these are the things that you need to make sure that you're not doing if you want to be a part of this, and especially if you get involved in things like leadership. Okay? Um, which that's a whole different bucket of whatever. Um, And so those are possibly a requirement. And what Paul is saying is that there is no requirement. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's salvation. God's salvation is given to you freely. Um, And what... And here's also the important part, is that actually what Paul is also getting back to is he's talking about this circumcision. He's also talking about the law, and he's also talking about (laughs) extra just extra stuff um, that are things that aren't necessarily where you have to get your life straight. These are things on as far as the things that transpire in a church in order enough for you to possibly be considered a Christian.
1: Yeah, those. Are the, I'll tease that out, but this 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 is where the the sec the the big sins. I mean, those are usually not the ways where churches create the boundaries. It's what you're leading. It's what you're going to take us into. It's these. It, it's these. Completely set of artificial rules that have very little biblical back, uh, backing, and a lot of them are only a couple hundred years old in terms of American tradition. And so, what are those things?
0: Yeah. So I mean, uh, some of these, some of these are a little diff- different. Um, they're not required at all. These are uh, these are things that you are more than likely. To do them is not bad. They can make you feel a part of the community that you're involved in, but no way are they associated with your faith with Jesus Christ. It's like
1: one being a specific way one has to be baptized. Right. A way that somebody has to be baptized,
0: um, baby dedications, um, years of service kind of stuff. Um, uh, There is... uh, um this one's kind of funny actually um because this is almost might be heresy for some people uh reading your bible um (laughs) and some of you guys are like what uh again we've talked about it up until like the past like what however many hundreds of years you wouldn't have been able to read your own bible just so we're clear like that that was never a decree from anybody that you need to read your bible like that's
1: not that's not in scriptures all those poor bastards until they could get a a printed a printed bible were were shout out shout out to the gideons for making
0: you believe that you need to read that thing they were all doomed to hell (laughs) uh which it is it is good to read your bible but it is not um because like Yeah, but again, we've also talked about whether or not people have the skills to be able to discern what is being said and that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, and we have been playing a version of Telephone for the last 2,000 years. Thankfully, the Bible has been able to be printed and recorded, and people continue to look for old manuscripts and get down to the root of what is being discussed and those types of things. So there's really good stuff there. Um, But it's it's just really funny. Um, it's not crucial to your faith Um, speaking in tongues oh yeah speaking Uh, in tongues you know uh, here's a a circumcision is one circumcision
1: is one if you're Catholic you know you have to go do your confession and you know those kinds of things I didn't talk
0: about this I haven't talked about the snakes in a long time (laughs) snakes Uh, shout out Paul over there Uh, (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Um, <laughs> it's not, again, it's not bad. It can make you feel highly involved. Uh, there's also one that I also think is really good too. It's not necessarily that people pressure you into this, but but I think that people feel that pressure all the time. Of some people have this emotional-spiritual connection and others don't feel that. Um, and so, some people believe that they're not necessarily a part of the faith because they're not experiencing that emotional high that some people are experiencing. Um, and they're like, well, is my faith not genuine? And some people will belittle you and say, well, if you're not putting your hands up for worship, then you're not really, you know, yeah. surrendering to the Lord as we are asked to, right? And this is how, again, where they hide it um, in ways where I have watched worship pastors. Legitimately shame their congregation by saying, This is what David did, and David's a man after his own heart. They, and so are you not doing what God has asked us to do? And so, therefore, you believe that you are sinning or going against what God had intended for you just because you didn't want to put your hands up in the service, right? That doesn't, that's not a safe space. That's a manipulated space. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that can be extremely frustrating. Um, and especially for anybody that goes through this to where they're like, that's not something I'm comfortable with. I'm 32 years old. I would rather not get circumcised at this point. Um, and and honestly, Paul makes some of those remarks uh, during this time where he's talking about this. And what's so crazy is Peter um, was on board. He was 100%... Right, he's the one that has the dream about the, about the food being unclean and all that kind of stuff. And he was fully set, and then he goes back on it. Like, he was like, Yes, this is what it is. But then, as the Jewish influence continued to take over on Peter, he's like, Okay, wait, never mind. <laughs> he's like, No, let's go back to what was safe. Let's go back to this. Um, and again, it, and like I said, uh, Paul goes after the law. Yeah, He talks about all of those laws in the Old Testament and how that's not required for you to receive God's salvation. Now, this is also where it becomes different. um, And that's why, like we said, you don't need to be clean to join. But this is also where what we're talking about is really understanding the nature of God and really understanding what it is um, that you are signing on for when you become a Christian. is you are not signing on to this for this heaven. And when I say heaven, I'm talking about you know this this place after death that you get to go and live eternally and have a party because you're like, I'll, I'll put in the time now. Yeah, and and but as long as I get to party it up in heaven and do all that kind of stuff, like that's not what it's for. You should never be sitting there thinking that this life is miserable, um, and then whatever comes next is going to be so much better. You should be trying to build something here that God wanted. So you need to align yourself with his mission and his vision and so and we talked about this so many times is that that is what you are buying into you have said yes this is what I'm about and so therefore you go and you follow it and so you follow those rules and you follow the teachings because you are following that person like I don't know how to describe it any other way to where if I was sitting there and I said that I was a uh, we've talked about it before that I'm a Manchester United fan that means I watched the games I keep up with the trade rumors, even though they're terrible. They don't ever make any sense. Soccer trade rumors are baloney. They don't exist. <laughs> like, anytime they say that there's, like, this player's, like, being pursued, you're just like, okay, whatever. No, like, it never, ever happens. Um, you keep up with the trade rumors. You support the team when they lose. You know, like, this is what you do. Um, but if I didn't do any of those things, what? most people that would see me, and everyone that would see me would not assume that I was not a fan of Manchester United. If I never talked about him, if I never watched anything, I never kept up with the scores, I never watched any of that kind of stuff, they wouldn't... Nobody would assume, I would not even assume, that that is what I was doing. I, I hadn't bought into the team. There's no. There's nothing that I want to do with them. There's, I'm not associating with them at all. And so that's kind of how your faith is, is when you sign up for this, you are following him... You are dedicating your time. You are dedicating. This analogy isn't locked tight, just so we're clear, but it's still this idea of <laughs> you are following this because this is something that you want to do, and you're not. But it's not something that you are being forced to do it's not this is required of you and nor enough for you to be considered a fan or anything like that but it is something that you desire to do um because you want to be and there's different and yes i'm sorry for anybody out there that's like okay so we get to be kind of picky and choosies with the laws and it's like yes technically yes right like we we wear clothes of three different types of fabric Nobody's nobody's murdering us, right? Like, we are are picky and choosy with the laws, um, right? Some of us don't need to go and get circumcised at 42 or whatever, you know. Uh, But there is something to be said where you're like, Jesus did double down on these. He said, you shall not murder, and that also means not hating my brother. Uh, You shall not, you know, commit adultery, and that also means not... Doing the best that I can, not to lust after other women, you know, um, and those are crucial things um, that Jesus talks about, and that is what, and we are, we are trying our best out here to continue to do this and try to get other people to do this because we know that it's what's best for humanity and for the world. If we could conquer this together, what it could do for our world and to where we would create heaven on earth. A place where people are striving to be better and being in God's will at all times, which means that we are in connection with God. Because God can finally be with us if we are able to eliminate sin. I'm not saying that we're we're ever gonna achieve perfection, but we should be trying to be better every single day.
1: Yeah, the analogy I would use and this might not work for some people listening because the analogy I would use is it's like a kid, kid's relationship to their parents. And again, you might be listening saying, well, my dad was a son of a bitch, so that doesn't help me at all. Um, which I would say, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons why Christianity is doing so poorly because the, the disintegration of the family. But what do I mean by that? I mean, look, some of us when we're younger... We listen and do everything our parents tell us to do because we're scared to death getting in trouble. But at some point, that relationship, if it's healthy, or maybe it's just always that if you live in a really loving family and you're the kind of kid who wants to please your parents and your parents are loving and provide you a nice, stable uh, family uh, situation... You are doing what they tell you to do, not because you're afraid of getting into trouble. It's because you want to please them. You, That's what they ask of you. And there's just this idea, of, well, my parents want me to do that. I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah. it. doesn't mean you're always
1: doing what they want you to do. Right, 100%. You're still going around, you know, doing what kids do. Yeah, you're still a fuck-up, that's but for sure. Generally, yeah. but you are animated when, you're, when you know your parents are proud of you and you're... And it doesn't mean you're doing what they want you to do. Or maybe sometimes it is. I mean, you know, a lot of people have been successful in this world because their dad, mom and dad wanted them to be a damn dentist or a lawyer. I mean, entire generations of Jews were successful because mom and dad said, you're going to be a lawyer. And they went on, we were lawyers and they were successful. And yeah. so there's a, you know, a lot of that is just a. What being a Jesus follower is similar to that. And again, if you haven't had that kind of household, then I understand why being a Jesus follower might be a little harder for you because it's like, well, every authority figure I had told me I was a shithead. So why would I want to follow this guy? Because he's just going to tell me the same thing, that I'm no good. Which is why we've got to get our family situation cleaned up in the United States. But uh, so uh, one more little example, communion, that's another one in church that is often fought over, like communion's gotta be done this way. And if if you don't do communion, somehow some sign that like, either you're not a Christian or that person must be really going through something that they don't wanna confess to because they're not doing communion that day. So anyway, uh, we'll wrap this up by saying, we hope you're looking for a church that is centered. Uh, Be mindful of, when if you go to a church not every church is clued in on this kind of stuff. The larger the church you go to, there's they're certainly aware this kind of uh, bounded versus centered. They're probably going to say they are and just, you know, kind of keep an idea. Are they really following through with that? I think our church does a f- very good job of trying to be centered. I'm sure there's some things within certain parts of the church where, you know, they got some rules set up that kind of get in the way, but generally speaking, uh, I think our church is following through on the centered model but i'd also just challenge you to live your life that way try to live your family life that way and i know that sounds icky in a world where all these icky things where the culture is crumbling around us and there's all this stuff kids are getting your kids and your spouse is being exposed to on the internet and television and kids at school and co-workers at the office or just your friend group and you want to just crawl up into this little tiny uh, cloister protection zone on Sunday and, and then small group on Wednesday and then the kids only go to a youth group and maybe participate in sports. Oh, but the kids swear. That's not the world we live in. And yeah. you got to trust that their faith will be stronger than whatever they're being exposed to. And yeah, little Timmy might go out and play baseball and come home and say a few swear words and do a few things you might not like, but as long as he's still learning how to love others and love his enemies and love his God, then he's on the right path.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's good.
1: All right, item number two is kind of related in a way. So I'm going to read from John 15. I'm bringing bringing this up because way back on another episode I don't even know what episode it was I just made note of it when I was editing the uh it it occurred to me when I was editing that particular podcast that I had gone out of my way to talk about um us believers bowing down oh no I did write it down it was episode seven wow it was way back uh I talked about us bowing down before Jesus is our Lord which is certainly a thing wow, the wife's bringing in water. We're only like one beer. We're not even full beer in. She's already like, it's, just, it's the fourth inning. It's like a quarter break. It's because of Colton's uh, <laughs> Colton's doctor trip today. Um, I apparently made mention of bowing down before Jesus as Lord. And it struck me, uh, not because I said it, because there's certainly this language and this, uh, symbolism within the Bible, uh, even in the New Testament. Uh, certainly in Revelation Jesus has talked about very much from a kingly perspective. But I think it was that week that our pastor had was reading from yes, that's why that's why our our pastor Forrest uh, brought up a chapter. I don't remember what he was talking about that day that Sunday. But he went out of his way at the end of his little talk to point out in John chapter 15 a particular description of Jesus that we really don't talk about much in church. We have a nice little song that talks about it, but we don't really talk about it this way. So let me read. Let me read. I'm not going to read just the one little verse. Let me read the whole thing in context because I don't like verse dropping. I never like verse dropping. Someone's always trying to pull... The wool over your eyes when they pull a little verse out so john chapter 15 starting in verse 9 as the fathers loved me so i i have loved you this is jesus talking remain in my love if you keep my commandments you will remain in my love just as i've kept my father's commandments and remain in his love i have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete this is my commandment that you love one another as i loved you Greater love has no one, that, uh, greater love no one, greater love has no other one than this, that he may lay down his life for his friends. I don't know why I'm struggling with that. So here we get to the important part. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not understand what his master is doing. But i have called you friends because everything i have learned from my father i have made known to you you do not choose me but i chose you i appointed you to go be, go and bear fruit fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you this is my command to you love one another so that part in 14 you are my friends if you command what i if I, if you do what i command no longer do i call you servants it's so weird we don't talk I, again, I don't ever remember a pastor hitting on that and it really hit me of this thing of Jesus calling us friends because, again, we look at him as son of God, so he's God. He's this kingly, powerful person. But here Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're my friends. Now, we know he doesn't mean that literally. We don't get to tell... Uh, Jesus to go to hell and we, he does something we don't like but so what is this what does this little part mean and why is it that the church so fixates on this language and vision of God being this all-powerful king that we have to bow down and worship to and you know, this view of the Old Testament God or what you might see in Lord of the Rings or or Game of Thrones. Why is it that we fixate on that kind of language and don't take what Jesus says in this verse as, no, you're my friends? Do you have any thoughts?
0: Yeah. Um, so there's... It's kind of funny. There's, uh, there's two extremes to this. Um, one is, yeah, you have... A certain sect of Christianity that believes that yeah you're you're doing um, well just the way that we envision God and the way we want to see God uh, we're putting our own image on him. And yes, we do bestow um, all of these titles upon God and upon Jesus, and we recognize the thing that Jesus did for us and. And so we put him at this kingly status, um, uh, Jesus at this princely status. Um, we are beneath, we are below, um, and in some ways we are. But again, actually, we're, the best way to go through this is when we look at um, when we look at the the Trinity um, and really understanding all three um, parts of this, where you have this omnipotent, all knowing. Um, Omnipresent God. Um, And then you have Jesus, um, who was the man who came and he suffered with us. And then he gave us a helper, um, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, And when we pray, uh, who we are communicating with is we're communicating with, obviously, all three. But really, it's with the Spirit, that helper, um, that we are communicating with that we are reaching out to. Um, and and it is this friend that is here to help us through um, this whole process. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes people just view Jesus, her God, as the friend and don't recognize him for the power and the authority that he has over the universe and the all of mankind. And so that's something that is also bad as well if you don't recognize both. Um, understanding like, I I would assume it as just being like, uh, well, it's very much as if you had your, let's just say that if your best friend was your boss, <laughs> you <laughs> need to recognize that one, which we say that a lot of times that that doesn't really work out. Um, is your boss can not also be your best friend. But let's just say for in in this instance that it does work out. Um, It is this person that you can have conversations with, um, but you also have to have immense amount of respect for and understand the authority that they have over you. Um, Doesn't mean that you can't uh, talk to them and have good times with them and those types of things, Um, but at the same time, also understanding the immense responsibility that they have over you. So, I don't know. That's what I'd say. Again, not a lock type analogy, but...
1: No, I think it's... Yeah, that's good. Um, the part about him... The, the reason why he calls us... He wants us to think of ourselves as friends. is You know, he continues on because, he, you know, he says... He points it out in a very... His analogy is very to the times, which we don't really, well, actually it works with your, with your analogy. He likens it to a servant, which we automatically think of as a slave or, you know, this, this terrible situation. This would be better understood as a member of the household or your business, but it basically a boss saying, go do this thing. And, you know, you don't necessarily question your, boss. why do you want me to do the thing? You just go do it because you understand. The boss is the boss, and he's gonna go have you. You just figure he knows what he's doing, or it's not really my place to question him. And he's saying, "No, no, no. You, I've given, I've told you why we're doing all these things. You know why. We're doing them together." Right.
0: You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a conspirer. You know, like you guys are conspiring together um, on this endeavor. Uh, that you guys are going to be taking. You are a part of the planning process. Um, and so you're in on this yeah.
1: kind of thing. Uh, this thing doesn't work without you being involved and understanding what's going on. Right. Well, the, the language we use every week, the buying into the mission and vision and knowing what the mission and vision is. And therefore, from that perspective...
0: And never, ever did Jesus want you to be a mindless follower. And actually, that's what makes this verse really great. For understanding that it's okay to ask questions. Yeah. Because, again, it's coming down to... You should be asking questions. Because, again, God wants to make sure that you know what he is about. It's not just follow my rules because I said so. That's not what it is. It's here's what I'm doing, and this is how I want you to do it. Um, And here's why. It's because it's what's best for mankind. Um, And so ask those questions. And, I mean, there's still, like, some parts in there where, you know, he's talking about, um, you know, I think what a lot of people get hung up on this one is the I choose you. Who does he choose?
1: Oh, yeah, Um, I mean... (laughs) The I choose you one has created a whole bad strain okay. of Christianity that says that some of us are chosen and some of us are not. are not. And that I don't think that's at all what he's saying. He's clearly saying I chose you. But the point is, uh, this is, well, we've all been chosen. Yes. Don't be confused that somehow you stumbled upon him. He's been waiting for you the whole time. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, it is. But if you're sitting at home listening to this, and you're a Christian, and you're in your late, you're in your early twenties, and you're the only believer in your family, and everybody else is very hostile to Christianity, and you're reading that thing, well, why didn't he choose my mom and dad to be a Christian? Because you know I'm worried. Even though we've talked about not being worried about it, it's understandable. I'm worried that my parents aren't going to go to heaven when I go to heaven. That's not what this... We don't know why our family members don't, but it's not because God didn't choose them and he chose you. That is a bad interpretation of Christianity. Unfortunately, it's prominent within parts of it. And again,
0: my argument is still don't focus on the afterlife. I know that that's easier said than done because that's. I feel like that's. It's like the that. I say, don't just don't focus on the afterlife piece. It's not worth your time. There's nothing that we can control about the afterlife um, and what happens and who goes where. We don't get to be judges of that. Um, again there's argument over like is there skin in the game it's not i believe there's plenty skin in the game without having to promise afterlifes right i think that there is plenty of what i see when i look out at the world is i see a broken world and i'm sad and i think that it could be better and i think that that's something worth working for Right now on this time that we have left, I see that as something worth working for. To where I'm not sitting there thinking about your... I'm not thinking about your eternal salvation. I'm thinking about your spirit now. The spirit that Jesus was after and trying to remedy now. It wasn't about saving you for the future. It was about saving you in the moment now for your future self that lives in this world for the rest of your days. That's what it's about. And so that's why it's such a huge important thing that it's don't get so hung up. And especially when we're saying that there are chosen people or whatever, we're all chosen. Every single person, Jesus died on the cross for all of us. It's when do we accept that his teachings are good? It's the same thing as you sit there. I, I can't put it in any other better way and I'm not even a parent yet than just a parent that knows That's been through the problems or the struggles and knows what's wrong and sits there and says, this is the best way to do it. This is how you should do it. And the kid sits there and says, I'm going to do it my way and goes the 10 hour extra long way around it and then and continues to do it over and over and over again. You watch them struggle. You watch them be in pain. You watch them mess up over and over and over again and then but meanwhile the parent just sits there and says like this is what you've decided for yourself you're going to do this over and over and over and over and over again and then eventually at some point the kid says you know what i'm gonna try it your way and they try it and they're like oh you're right that was better and that was significantly easier and the parent doesn't gloat it's not that it's just simply sitting there and it's like good i'm glad right And that is our relationship. That is the world that we live in right now with God. It is God has said, this is how, (laughs) this is the best way to do it. And we sit there and say, nope, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to gratify myself. I'm going to focus on me. Um, But really, and our world groans and aches from the fact that we sit there and we decide that I'm going to do things my way. Um, And at least that's what I see from our world. And I think that that is plenty of reason why you should be bought in. There's enough skin in the game, like I said, without having to promise things like eternal salvation and that kind of stuff. I think that there's plenty of reason for people to change without that, in my opinion. But
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, one other thing I would just point out, it says at the end, um, this is my command, love. This is my command, you love one another. He also talks up at the the beginning of it, um, loving one another. I think the church too often has taken that as being applying to Christians within the Christian circle, and I don't think that's what Jesus means. So, uh, certainly, just by that, by definition, when Jesus lays what Jesus is talking about, certainly, if there are people. Who are not loving one another? Mm-hmm. They are they are outside Jesus's commandment, and they are not a follower of Jesus if so they're not loving others. But that does not mean that they are outside the group and they're not they don't apply to loving others. Yeah, we are called to love everybody in whatever way we can, however that works. So, all right, uh, I. Take back what I said at the start. I think there was a... I don't know if it's a cleanup. But I don't. I think we just need to chuck out. We need to reclassify cleanup on a five and Hot Topic because I don't know that they work anymore. It's just uh, whatever it is. Super listener Andy Flores had a question for us. Uh, we saw him over the weekend a couple times. Well, I saw him a couple times. You saw him on Saturday. He was never quite clear about what his question was. But I think I got the gist of it. So at some point during our uh, existential questions episodes, we had made reference to what he said, uh, us ref- talking about others dying for people's freedom. Did he say that we said we sh- uh, other people shouldn't die for other people's freedom? Or he just said we made reference to it, but they didn't really flesh it out. Mm. I don't, he wasn't quite sure what we said, but I can, I'm pretty sure I know what we were talking about enough to where I can speak on what we didn't flesh out. Uh, I know, I thought we talked about this when in previous episodes when we talked about American Christianity and in particular us going around fighting wars in the name of. Saving people. So. um, I'm going to take a crack at this. Maybe this won't end up in the episode. I don't know. But. We are in love with in this country with going and fighting for other people's freedom. We think it makes us special. We think it makes us moral. I would argue that it's safe to say that a good portion of Christianity in America feels they are being better that they are better followers of Jesus because we as a nation and maybe they specifically literally went off and fought for somebody's freedom and I don't want to belittle the risk anyone's taken certainly whatever life has been lost thinking they are pursuing that but as I I think we've said on this show before, and I'm just going to say it here again. Jesus doesn't give a rat's ass about other people's freedom. He just doesn't. We are not called on this earth to go fight for other people's freedom. I don't even know that we are called, if I'm being brutally honest, not I don't know. If I'm being brutally honest, we are not even here to fight for our own freedom. Now, that might be a value that is important to you. And that might be a value you're, want, you're going to want to hold on to. And if you do that, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. But that is not anything that has nothing to do with being a Jesus follower.
0: So the this is important I'm going to get around to it but we're going to start with so the turn the other cheek scripture there's three situations uh, that get brought up there's the turn the other cheek if someone is to strike you there is the carry their pack for an extra mile and there is the give the cloak off your back um Now, all three of these actually have three parties that are involved in each of the stories um, that people have to recognize. There is always the person that is having the act done to. So there's the victim. There is the oppressor. And then, actually, uh, Jesus doesn't ever talk about it in his... Um, in his parable or his analogy, but it would have been implied for everybody that was there. They would have known um, exactly. And the third is an audience, somebody to have seen this take place. Because what ends up happening is, and maybe you've heard this from other pastors as far as how these stories go, but I mean, the first is the turn the other cheek. The reason why you turn the other cheek is because now the man strikes you again, um, but he strikes you, um, and now he is beating you up. Um, He's mugging you, believe it or not. So the the first is a backhanded slap. He puts the shame on you through his slap, and then the fronthanded slap comes through, and now it's, wait, he didn't deserve that. Um, You've already given him the shame, but now you are just... beating up a man and so the audience's response is anger and frustration towards the man that is now taking advantage of you who has done nothing wrong because you got the first slap out of the way the second is the soldier with the pack if he asks you to take it for a mile you take it one more now remember this uh, the law of Rome was that you could ask somebody to take the pack for a mile, but they could take it no more. And to which, um, if there were people around and you were to take the pack another mile, the soldier would beg for his pack back because his uh, his punishment could be severe for it. And then the third is the cloak off your back. If a man asks you for your or tells you to give him your jacket, you give him the cloak off your back. And then you would be naked, and right nakedness in Jewish culture is extremely, um, it's taboo, it's not something that you do, it's shameful. You would never make a man um, be completely naked, no matter how much he owed you, you would never take everything from him. And why this is important is because I believe that there is a response that we are to have as a people, as people that witness and see things going on, is that there is a response that we have to not be, um, what is the term? Uh. There's definitely a call from Jesus for us to not be complacent and for us to not be indifferent. Um, If we are to see injustice done to our brother and to our sister, um, then we are not to be indifferent. I do believe that that is what Jesus asks for us if we are a part of the crowd um, that is watching an injustice done to our brother and to our sister. Now, if an injustice is happening to you, yeah, Jesus doesn't care. Um, Now, here's the hard part though: is that violence is not what is asked for, ever. As far as when Jesus is talking, violence is never asked for. Um, Right? Because, in like the big example, is Peter with the knife and the cutting off of the ear and that kind of stuff, again, an injustice is about to be done to Jesus. Um, and yet, he responds and yet this is not something that is supposed to be taking place. So, now, the issue becomes like, let's say for example, we have a very nice, easy thing to talk about as, or an example at the moment, where you are seeing actually the world respond in the way that, believe it or not, Jesus would have wanted to respond Um, with the situation in Ukraine. And it's actually terrible to say because there are people dying in Ukraine every day. And it's heartbreaking. Because you're watching somebody somebody who's coming in and doing an injustice to somebody else. Um, These are people that are not showing brotherly love to their neighbors. Um, They're coming in, um, they're misplacing homes, they're misplacing children. Um, They're killing people. All for what? Um, According to Russia and their spokespersons, it's just to stop uh, the advancement of Western civilization. That's it. It's an ego boost to their side, which is crazy and sad um and what you're seeing is actually a response from other nations that this is not acceptable and this is not okay um and, but at the end of the day I don't know if violence is the answer I I again I'm I'm non-violent we've been over that before we don't need to go into it again but it's just this is just such a very challenging task of just asking what about fighting for someone's freedom. Again, I believe that... I believe in a particular message of there are things worth fighting for, there are things worth dying for, but there are never things worth um, killing for. Uh, And so that's... And when I say fighting, I'm not meaning violently fighting. I mean protesting and doing those types of things. And that can be... A very slow draining process that other people don't want to get involved in, and so therefore I can't hold a candle to their rapid methods that they're wanting to achieve so I don't know what do you think Tim
1: uh look your your discussion about people being attacked and we're supposed to Jesus having different, uh, the three different scenarios about us helping people in distress. Uh, those are, you know, that's good. That's a good counter to, I mean, that's a good counter to me, a blanket statement for me saying, Jesus doesn't care about freedom. I stand by what I said. I was very specific about what I said uh, because, and the reason why I use that language is because we live in a country and Do not, if you're listening to this, say, "Well, all governments engage in propaganda? On this podcast, let's not engage in a cynical view of this is how things are. The whole point of the podcast is to view the world as it should be and try to make the world as it should be. So when we uh, have a government that routinely uses bullshit language to come up with reasons why it's doing something i think we should call it out for that whether the motives we think are okay or not the language that we use still matters and so uh going to war because for some countries freedom is not i don't think that's what jesus calls us to do certainly in ukraine if we're being specific yes we have people who are being attacked they're in distress um And where is that line that's drawn out? And maybe that line is you help them humani- from a humanitarian standpoint, but you don't add to the bloodshed by providing all kinds of weapons and other things to make the situation even worse. You mentioned a couple, you know, those three scenarios in the Bible Jesus talked about. We had just read from John 15, 15, and the verse that gets thrown around a lot, particularly around Memorial Day, which I think is a gross injustice. <laughs> Sorry, Colton's reacting to the second beer. <laughs> beer, it's the best damn drink in the world. We are having a second beer.
0: <laughs> it's the Island Beats from Lagunitas. It's a tropical IPA. I'm a big fan of Lagunitas, but this, i you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you'll tell me that I'm wrong. Coconut? You tasting coconut?
1: I don't taste coconut, thank goodness, because I'm not a big coconut fan. Oh, no, there's like...
0: It's like got the roundness of coconut in your mouth. I don't know. Alright, keep going.
1: It's very pale in color, I can tell, even though we're not drinking out of that. It's like 5%. So. <laughs> um. Yeah, the verse that is taken out of context, again, Uh, When someone just reads you one little verse, odds are someone's trying to pull something out of the Bible that's not really meant. There's probably all kinds of context around it that uh, might be important. So the verse I'm talking about is, greater love has no other than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, which I don't know what translation is. I have a hard time with that. That's just a clumsy translation. Basically, there's no greater love than somebody who dies for somebody else and we take that and run with it in terms of us fighting for other people and their freedom and all that and I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about at all no Um. Yeah, so what you
0: were talking about when you said fighting for freedom again the, we've talked about it before on this podcast the American Revolution that's not that's not a a Jesus vision. It's not a, again, that's very nearsighted of us. Um, And it's okay. I mean, it's, it's not what God wants for us. Um, It's, again, you're, you're going to find that if you go to, through scripture, you're going to find that being submissive is always your best option. As far as you work from the submissive position. Um, where you sit there and you and you allow yourself to be treated like garbage, um, and you work through that process um, to transform others, and others will see. Now again, there's there's ways that we have to respond. And we we know now there's things that we need to do psychologically and that kind of stuff, um, but when it comes to conflicts. Um, It is really about not, well, I guess submissive isn't necessarily the term, um, but being meek. Yeah. Um, And not being an aggressive, an aggressor or a, um, you know, or a bully or, you know, uh, not being extremely proactive in those. Uh, situations is what's important and so we see that countless times throughout our history where uh, the United States history where we have wanted to establish these freedoms um, that are not necessarily guaranteed now again we are now on a nicer side of history Not still not necessarily on the right side of history but we can see as we have grown, we are able to reflect and sit there and say, Hey, that was wrong how we treated those people. That was wrong how we treated the African Americans for hundreds of years, thousands and hundreds of years. Um, you know, that was wrong how we've treated the homosexuals for hundreds of years, thousands of years, right? That was wrong how we treated the, we're able to see that as we continue to grow. And develop and we hope that eventually as people were able to do that to where um and which right like those people have been able to do it without bloodshed or or pain but it has taken such a long period of time um but like but humanity continues to grow and develop and that's what we need to have our faith in is that hopefully someday we will be able to grow as we are able to see like hey now people right, People now are standing up in the streets and protecting these people that they never would have protected, what, 20 years ago? Yeah. Never. I was like, there's people that are out there protecting... uh, There are countless of people protecting uh, African Americans where 200 years ago they never would have done that. Right? Very few. Don't sit there and say Abraham Lincoln. Like... (laughs) So it's this is a situation where we have to continue to grow and develop in the best way that you can do that is by sharing the love of Jesus Christ and that message and that vision to where you sit there and say, for those that are my brothers and my sisters for, that are in, for example, in this situation in Ukraine that are struggling and hurting, this is an injustice being done to them. And so what can we do to help them? Um, and to which I have no problems with uh, with playing the economic warfare, or um, I I always think that it's tough when you play economic warfare on politicians because politicians are one percenters in that country at least for uh, how it works in that country, and so really the people that suffer are the people that are just trying to get by. <laughs> And communist Russia so uh, that's always tough um, so I don't know there are sanctions that are being posted um, people are being arrested people are being denied this and that and so I don't know I don't know what the answer is uh, there's a lot of broken people out there in the world and I just think that actually what it comes down to is a lot of people don't trust other people so and for what, right? You know what's so crazy? Is that what makes... It, it's always so frustrating whenever I hear issues about race or about people from other parts of the world. What what makes any one person on this planet any better than any other person yeah. on this planet? I don't understand that. I don't get that. What makes one one person on this planet scum and another one not? There's nothing.
1: No, just because you're a victim doesn't make you, I'm sorry if you're hearing this, because you're a victim doesn't make you more special than somebody else either. It just makes you a victim. And it means you have particular challenges and particular hurt and wounds that have to be dealt with, that, but that doesn't make you more special than somebody else. It just doesn't.
0: Right, and how do we end this, this cycle of violence? How do, how do we end it? You know how you end the cycle of violence? Is somebody has to sit there and say, Enough. Like I don't want revenge. I don't want I don't want you to have to pay penance. I just want this to be over.
1: Let me interject something there because the so we've dealt with the pacifism thing a couple times. And since none of you listening to this podcast will send in any comments or questions, we haven't had any direct questions or comments on this. I'm kidding. One of the one of the common rejoinders to passivism is, "Well, you have that luxury because you live in 21st century America." That's that is not a that's not a cheap. Rejoinder. I don't. I don't mean to dismiss that and say that is a fallacious counter argument. It's not. It's actually a good argument. But it's also it's also one of those things where I say yes. If one is a pacifist, I one can say yes. This is true. And as a believer, I can one can say yes. This is true because. 2,000 plus years of Christendom have led, albeit so minutely, slowly to a point where I can live in America and choose to be a pacifist because there's enough, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes, there's enough non-violence lack, there's enough lack of violence in the country and we have other people who, yes, are willing to step in that I can choose out of luxury to be a pacifist because I feel like I it's i am called to do that right and
0: always actually what's always a good question to ask back is if you could choose would if you could choose between the two between the world that we have now and where every single person openly sought after and chose to be a pacifist on a regular basis which world would you choose would that not make you trust your brother and your sister that much more? if right. They actively sought after being a pacifist every single day. I'm aware that that's not the reality of the world that we live in, but somebody's got to start, right? Somebody has to sit there and say, I'm not going to do it. Right. And hopefully convince others to not do it either. So where they sit there and say, that's not a line I'm going to cross. Ever, because it, it's sick even within our own country we don't even have to go anywhere where people are and we talked about it on this podcast with guns where where people are buying guns because and listen I sometimes I think about it too I've got a wife and I think about and my wife loves to watch or loves to listen to there's like this chick that does makeup and tells like, I call them American horror stories. Where it's just... Where they're true stories about people that have gone out over to somebody's house and done fucked up things to people. And and it's gross. It's disgusting. I can't even be in the same room when she's, like, listening to it. I can't watch true crime. Like, all of that stuff, like, makes me sick. Yeah. I can't do it. And... And it's, like, yeah, there's parts of me where it's, like, I used to be the type of guy that was, like, sure, leave the door unlocked. Like, I don't really care. Like, you know, uh, I'd fall – if it – and now, like – and what's hard is that, like, I can see myself becoming, like, more and more cynical. Where it's, like, I don't trust people as much as I used to, which is – it's sad, right? Like, it's – and nothing's happened to me, Uh to where there's been a problem or anything Um, but it's just you can see how eventually things can go from one spot to another very quickly and so it's so sad that we can't in the United States trust one another um, to be brotherly and sisterly towards one another instead we we we're broken people and so we don't trust each other. And so we go out and we buy guns. We don't even trust. <laughs> and and here's the hard part. And listen, I'm not even talking about what the solution is for for schools, so to speak. But we don't even trust at, when a school shooting happens, our instinct is to get more guns on campus and that kind of stuff. Because we don't trust that that taking away the guns is going to work because people are going to be able to get them and, and it's going to still cause it. And I get that. I, I completely understand. I also believe that the world is broken and so that's a huge possibility that that still happens. Yeah. And it's so tough. I, I don't know what to do. All I can say is that my part that I choose to play for myself is this one. And and especially when it comes to fighting for freedom, so to speak, I don't, again, I don't think anything's worth killing for. There's nothing in this world that's worth killing for, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I've said on multiple podcasts, I'm going to say it again. It just, it really, I find it, Look, there was a time in my life probably up into my early 40s where I would have thought it was wonderful that there was no peace movement. And by and I by that I mean an honest peace movement, not just like, you know, we hate whatever president there is and he's got us in a war, and we're just going to go out cuz it's just an excuse to protest, but an honest to god uh, peace movement. And I probably would have scoffed at it and called them a bunch of morons. And well, for whatever reason, something switched on in my brain in the last couple years. And if you're listening to this and you're let's just say you're you're conservative, you're got standard conservative beliefs, you're pro-military. I'm not telling you you need to change your mind today. Uh, certainly, if you're one of our friends, ninety-nine, it's it's a given. That you're conservative. And I'm, you know, I'm on the right somewhere myself politically, but I'm going to be the one that says, and I, and if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this in your military, I'm not telling you, you know, resign your commission, resign your, quit the military. No, fill your duty in the military. Military does a lot of great things. And you might be called to do things that you don't want to do or you regret later, but we all that that's just the way life is and I'm not telling you to sell your guns if you own guns and you want to defend yourself. I guess I'm just saying we need more people out there, and I would hope that as you go closer to Christ, you're at least understanding that our position is... I'm not gonna say it's more Christ-like. I'm not. I don't have that kind of an ego. But maybe there's something to it.
0: Yeah. I. It's not an easy path to choose. I'm with Tim. Again, I don't think it's that simple that you just sit there and say like, I'm just gonna do this and and that's how it's gonna be. Um, it's it's a complete mindset set shift. And again, yeah. I said it the first time, you talked about it just now, I have no problem saying it, is that it does come from a place of luxury to sit there and say, like, I'm gonna be a pacifist. But I'll use the luxury that I have um, to hopefully pass it on to those that are in this pieces of luxury. And then those people are able to pass it on to others. And hopefully we can then continue to and build this to where we are able to trust one another to not want to hurt or harm one another. It doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements. It doesn't mean that we don't argue or whatever. That's not what pacifism is about. It doesn't mean being supplemental, being dismissive, uh, being walked all over, that's not what it's about. But it's sitting there and saying, I will not hurt another human being on this planet for my personal gain or for whatever instinct that I have or because somebody told me to or whatever and that's so frustrating right because what's so hard is that we look at the military as we sit there and say does it matter at the end of the day let's go back to World War II and I, we use Hitler because again that's like the pinnacle of evil in like everybody's mind for the most part you have Adolf Hitler who orchestrated the rape torture maiming and murder of countless amount of Jews in Europe and more than Jews right blacks homosexuals handicaps and gypsies all that kind of stuff
1: yeah
0: all of that orchestrated all of that and what is killing him gain us what do we gain from killing Adolf Hitler? Justice that one
1: man's blood accounts for the thousands? Yeah, no. I mean, killing him wasn't out of a sense of justice and anybody thinks that that's the case. That's that's belittling the 13 million in the liquidation of the Jews. So, yeah, that's absurd.
0: Right. But that's the whole and then, you know, Even if you went and did that to all of the Nazis that ran the show, right?
1: what does that do? Well, look, this this is where it gets to... I'm going to apply the book we just read, Mere Christianity. And Lewis makes it clear in one of the chapters, I've already forgotten which one it was. One of the books, he talks about how... Being, being a Christian, morality is not a list of absolutes, and it's a lot of gray area where you're situationally trying to apply a lot of stuff. And I would say, when it comes to violence, I am probably still a little more to the, I don't know what side it would be, but less on the pacifism side than you are, where I think it still is situational. And in this in World War Two it was much more justified and and I get and part of what I'm saying is I feel I don't I feel icky about what's being done in Ukraine. I it's not at all defending what the Russians are doing but I don't feel nearly as justified as I would like to be by our behavior as well. And I don't you know the United States isn't directly doing things but we're we're doing things to encourage violence. Let's be honest. Sure. The government's been very open that it would like a nice bloodletting of russia in this situation that's not something i want my government publicly or even privately trying to do whether it's strategically in the interest of the united states or not well
0: it was privately and then it was made publicly so shout out to that guy from the air force
1: so yeah some of this is situational um and you know World War 2 was situational as well. Let's not forget. We all we all have this nice idea that well, I don't think most of us really even think about it. We yes, we think about us getting attacked at Pearl Harbor and then we get into the war. You but know, the war in Europe and China and in Asia had been going on for quite a long time and we were selling And Roosevelt really arguably wanted to get in both of those wars. Or at least in Europe. But the American people did not. This is not really talked about unless you're in like a college history class. The American people very much wanted to stay out. Which is why all we did was the Lend-Lease Act. Which was just provide weapons and other stuff. Which is essentially what we're doing in Ukraine. To
0: both sides.
1: Right. So... You know, we didn't go charging into that. It wasn't until we were attacked. So it's not like America's always had this sense of, well, we've got to stand up for the world and defend it.
0: All that I say is that at the end of the day, uh, what's really frustrating is like you look at something like what happened in World War II, where people are actively... Uh Thanks, Tank. There was a really entertaining... I mean, I think we talked about it before, was when I was growing up, me and my dad used to watch these these World War II um, shows where uh, we were really into the fighter jets. Oh, yeah. And the fighter planes, and uh, we were watching these guys who... One guy was flying the, the Mustang, and the other was flying the Zero. and um, And he shot the guy... The, the American shot the Japanese guy out of his plane. Um, and he parachuted, and uh, the United States guy was going after him and was trying to um, shoot him down while he was parachuting. The guy like fell, but he was still able to survive, blah, blah, blah. And we fast forward you know, 60 years into the future, and these two guys are sharing a cup of coffee on the beaches of Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. Having no problems meeting up with each other have no ill feelings towards one another. But when that situation was going down, he was actively trying to kill that man. Yeah. But 60 years later, we don't give two shits. Like, that's...
1: It's the strangeness of war, for sure. Right. Because it's there's... the moral... Right, but it's uh, that
0: idea of what you are fighting for, right? In your twistedness. brain. Right, it's this idea in your brain where you were like this is what i'm fighting for this is the good versus the evil that's the evil over there but really actually they're nothing they're just like you every single that's why i asked the question whose life who who in this world is worth more than another man who is worth less than another man. And if you say that there is somebody that is worth less, is there at any point where their life hits the value of zero? Because that's what you're doing when you're taking their life. You are saying that you are no longer worth living anymore in this life. Let me take <laughs> well, it away.
1: if you're listening to this and you're a Jesus follower, and you say so, so you can name someone whose life is not, whose life is less, then you are spitting on the cross. Right. I'm sorry, but you are. You are, you, are, you are claiming that the cross... You are going right back to what we started this podcast with. You have created an artificial bounded set around the cross that says, you've done this these things that I don't like. And therefore, the cross doesn't apply to you. And I'm sorry, that's not the cross.
0: Right, we talked he about... He
1: literally died for everybody. And there are people in this world who spit in Jesus' face their entire life and say, I don't want what you're offering. And they make that choice. But that choice, they can spit in his his face a thousand times in their mind or in their actions. And after the thousandth time, he's going to say, I'm still here.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and what we're talking about tonight is not what we talked about with Andy. When we mm. talked about with Andy was more about, and I will say this, what we talked about there was more about the idea of protecting something that was extremely intimate to them, um, something uh, that was in, you know, it had to do with privacy, intimacy, um, and also uh, we talked about human instinct right that initial reaction of such a rush situation coming in right because that's always the topic that people want to talk about that's that that's what we were talking about on that particular evening and that's what a lot of people mean when they say like this is what i'm willing to do um in those types of situations and that's why people lean away from pacifism is because they're sitting there and they're saying in those particular instances this is what i have And to where at that point, and what you guys recognized um, when we talked about the psychological toll, is that that person's life wasn't necessarily worth nothing at the moment when you might have, you know, done the act of shooting them or whatever, but all you could think about was that you needed to protect whoever it was in your home.
1: Sure, and I think you know, I, boys. Let's just be sexist here, everyone. Boys go off to war, and they got grand ideas about it. Certainly happened in World War One. All of Europe, particularly in the in the United Kingdom.
0: Yeah, go read all. Quiet. On they all
1: form. signed up with these grand ideas of adventure and defending the homeland and all this kind of stuff. That that's what sends one out eagerly if one goes eagerly out into war. They fill themselves up with grand ideas and these wonderful motivations, the defending people's freedom and saving them and blah, 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 blah. But using your example, the guy trying to shoot the guy down and then shoot him with the parachute, that is just fight or flight, pure uh, instinct taking over of me trying to defend myself and then trying to... (laughs) I mean, shooting the guy down as he's parachuting, that's taking it a step farther. But just in terms of hand-to-hand combat, that is just me trying to save myself and my buddies to try right. to get out of this mess.
0: Sure. But also knowing that you hopped into a plane to go kill other oh, people. Oh,
1: sure. <laughs> right? You know, like, that's the thing. Well, that's the weird thing about the modern. And, you know, sure, we a lot of us... We we live in a strange era that has never, rarely existed in the world where people are signing up to go do this kind of stuff. Whereas in a lot of, most of humanity... (laughs) Not in Russia. (laughs) You get conscripted. Yeah. And you don't have a choice. You're being... That's what's so strange about, you know, the kind of conversation we're having. Is we have people who are signing up to do this business and we as a country are largely i'm sorry we are choosing to get into the, the the wars we get into very few of them were actually like you know we've been thrust into this thing we've been attacked we're choosing to go out and do these things and the more that's the case and again i'm not trying to co- I'm not trying to uh, judge anybody who's joined the military. My son's in the military. He's in the reserves. And I, even though I've become a lot more soft in my view of warfare and all that, I respect the hell out of anyone who's worn the uniform. This isn't some poor kid who's been conscripted by Stalin's army in 1941 to go out and fight on the western front against germany to the point where the germans have mined the minefields and how do they clean that clear them out they just send a bunch of kids to go out and clear the minefield by blowing themselves up so you know (laughs) warfare is a dirty thing it's it's obviously it is Yeah, I mean. I, it just, I don't know. Folks, thanks for sticking around. I, a lot of this is just me thinking aloud. This, uh, this is me from the last year thinking aloud and really questioning things. And I just, I'm a kid. Look, I'm a kid. Uh, I'm a, a Reagan Republican. I grew up, uh, when I was a kid, I read, in when I was in elementary school, I was reading war books. I studied the military my entire life. I was going to join the military and it was the last second I decided not to and went to UCLA. I have been a fan, a studier of the military my entire life, even though I didn't serve. So it's not without profound respect and understanding from an academic point of view, what warfare is. And I've just come to the realization that we admire it a little too much in the United States. And maybe in the West in general. And maybe those of us who call ourselves to be Christ followers need to start thinking about that. And just think about it. Just think about it. Just think about it. I'm not telling you to, again, quit the military or quit whatever, but just think about it. I, uh,
0: yeah, I think. Or when
1: you're, or just when you're around a bunch of friends and they're all making fun of people who who are. Not for being in the Ukraine war or weren't for whatever. Just be like, you know what? There's some good arguments for why we shouldn't be doing this. But what what are those reasons? Well, one's just being a follower of Jesus. I'm not really sure. I feel like I'm called to do this. But there's a lot of ways you can read the Bible and say, this might not be what a good uh, followers of Jesus should, should be doing. Well, what does that have to do with that? I'm not a follower of Jesus. Well, I am.
0: Yeah, when I, I think that's good. I think also to to, to point out is, um, I've had family, longtime family, Navy, um, Air Force. Uh, when I was, when I was a senior in high school, I met with a recruiter. Um, it was actually a part of my plan, um, to go, um, and become an officer in the Air Force. Um, And do work that way uh and kind of climb through and do what i wanted to do there um and it just i eventually just said no uh not for pacifism i didn't become a pacifist for years later um it just did it wasn't in the cards for me as far as um my wife really didn't want me to get involved in the military my now wife but at the time girlfriend um there was a lot of stuff going on with that and so um, it, I just didn't end up doing it um, uh, and still to this day I have nothing but respect for anybody that ever serves I think that I think that the United States does have a lot of mess in what it does um, but I don't blame the soldiers um, or the people that are, the everyday man that joins the military. I believe that you believe that you are fighting for a just cause. Um, and one that, um, is, tr- and I believe that most that join it are trying to do what's right for either their home country or for the world. Um, and so I do give you respect. Um, and I still stand up and I salute you and I, and I cross my heart, um, for the and, and I recognize you guys uh, for all that you do, and I am grateful for your service and understand the, all that you do for uh, the luxuries that I am allowed to have because of those that are involved in our military or were involved in our military. So shout out to any of our active military members or our veterans. That is extremely important, and I cannot deny that. What I'm talking about tonight is just more about a condition of the heart. Um, It's not necessarily coming after those that are in the military, but the the question had to be asked at some point on this podcast is, what do we do with this? Um, And I'd sit there and say, I hope for at least some at some point in our world's future that we would never ever have to have militaries. Yeah, It just doesn't make... Any sense? I don't understand how a boundary that we made up as men d- dictates how we treat other men. That's not okay. It doesn't make any sense to me as far as that is concerned. That person lives over there and this is what they do with their governmental system of how they... Run their economy? Like, that's ridiculous. And yes, I get it that there are people that are power-hungry and they want more territory and more land. And honestly, that's what the war in Ukraine feels like, is that it's just a...
1: it's just the territorial, ethnic... An ethnic uh, war is what it is. Right, and I'm like, wow, imperialism
0: is back. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yeah. Well, back like, I mean, it never left. (laughs) Shout out United States looking for oil over there. Um... But yeah, it's it's extremely frustrating, but it is um it's not something that's gonna be cured overnight, but I do think that you are correct and that it is something to think about. Or it's just think about it. Sit there and say And and again, I'm coming from a place of nothing but deep respect or whatever, but I can sit there and say, I don't think that this is what Jesus would have wanted. And that's okay as long as you are starting that thought process there, who knows where we can grow from there. But it's got to start somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's part of the die to oneself process. Dying to oneself isn't just, you know, not drinking too much or swearing, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, it's, also, it's also rethinking our human worldviews that we have locked into our brain. And and, quite, and doing this uh, a, a Jesus check on him it's like, is like does this does this really fit with what the world Jesus wants? Again, this this goes back to the this is the fundamental part of the of being an American Christian episode, and why it keeps coming up because I just think too many of us have worldviews that we have our worldviews and we make our Christianity work around it. Homeless people are lazy, therefore I don't like them and Jesus wants people to work so therefore homeless people are not people to be cared for well, that's true Jesus does want people to work he, the, the New Testament is very clear we're not supposed to not work and, scapego- and just use other people to live we are supposed to contribute but that doesn't mean you get to have a less, lesser view of homeless people And we can go all down the list of left-wing and right-wing political tropes and things that we want to believe in. And it's fine to believe in those things. And sometimes our political things we're voting on don't neatly fit within the gospel. I'm not saying everything does. We're not supposed to just vote because of what Jesus would want us to do. But at least question it. And don't hold those things higher to what being a Jesus follower is supposed to be. All right, we thank you again for listening to another episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Make sure other people can find out about the podcast. You can always hit us up on Twitter or Instagram or email us at Tim at GoToHellPodcast.com or Colton at GoToHellPodcast.com. And go to hell.